So why isn't your great idea making you money? Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. You know, every once in a while, I get somebody that asks, why 48 days? Why does all your material talk about 48 days? And, of course, I explain that we did a complex mathematical calculation with scientific evidence based on the rotation of the Earth for the ability of humans to redirect their behavior. No, it's really not quite that profound. I wish I had something more complicated to explain. But in working with people over the years, I found that many had some very vague goals. And yet I'd meet them three years later and they were doing exactly the same things. Nothing had changed. I became convinced that we had to have a specific time frame to initiate and implement that change. Now we're told it takes 21 days to make a new habit, good or bad, you know, whether it's 30, 60, 90 days, those things are too generic. I want it's a more distinctive and memorable time period. Now, this was back when the show 48 Hours was just beginning to grow in popularity. So I just decided to make it 48 days. It sounded good. And I do believe in having a specific time period. And we found that people responded extremely positively. There was the excited expectation. You mean I really can change my life in 48 days? And my response was then as it is now, yes, you can, if you have a plan. So that's kind of the backstory on the 48 days, but it comes up again and again. Of course, in the Bible, 40 days was used over and over and over again. When God wanted people to change their ways, change their direction or whatever, 40 days. So, hey, I'm giving you a few extra days, but 48 days is, in fact, enough time to assess where you are, decide where you want to be, create a plan of action, Boom, and get there, even in making major decisions. Well, with that, you are listening to the 48 Days Radio Show. Got some questions here that we're going to unpack today. Dan, I have wanted to share a business idea with you and your team to get some assistance and advice, but I'm afraid once it's public, someone with funding will grab my idea and run with it. All right, look at that. Here's another one. I want my wife to turn her hobby into a business, but she's resisting. What should I do? Dan, should I get a business loan? How about this? Should I help my adult son with special needs start his own business? Well, great questions. So we're going to kind of focus in on this issue of having an idea. What do you do with an idea? How do you develop an idea? If you already have it, if you don't have one, we're going to kind of Lean into that a little bit today. A quotation, there's many, but I chose one from Thomas Edison, who said, I have more respect for the fellow with a single idea who gets there than for the fellow with a thousand ideas who does nothing. Now, here's a couple other quotations, and then we're going to comment on it. Another one from Thomas Edison says, most of my ideas belong to other people who didn't bother to develop them. Here's one from Mark Twain. There's no such thing as a new idea. It's impossible. We just take a lot of old ideas and put them into a sort of mental kaleidoscope. We give them a turn and they create new and curious combinations. We keep turning, making new patterns, but they're the same old pieces of glass that have been in use throughout all the years. I love that. 
You know, I mean, it's very common for people to think they came up with something that's never been thought of before. I mean, there. if you want to kill a book idea when you promote it to a publisher, tell them that nobody has ever written about this before. Nobody's ever had this idea before. That'll kill it right there because they know that's just absolutely not true. doesn't matter if it's new, using t- new technology. The ideas have been around for a long time. But it's the person who takes action that's going to benefit from those. Another quotation I've got here addresses that. Ideas are a dime a dozen. People who put them into action are priceless. So we're going to talk about putting legs on an idea rather than just having it bouncing around in your brain. All right. Hey, got a resource for you this week. I'm excited about this. This next Monday night, now this is going to be Monday, October 26th. I'm doing a Monday mentor session in our Eagles community where I'm going to talk about car hacking. Now, if you've been around 48 days very long, you know that I'm kind of a car guy. I love cars. I love buying and selling them, driving them, racing them, all those kind of things. But I'm going to share some ideas that I've developed over the years about how to drive any car that you want without it costing you any money. Now, this is not going to be some kind of slick, you know, trick, smoke and mirrors. It's just how to do that. And you can essentially drive an exotic car if you want to, a luxury car, or just a common everyday driver. I'm going to show you how I've done all of those things. So you can join us if you just go to 48dayseagles.com slash car hacking. Again, that site is 48dayseagles.com slash hacking. Join us for that Monday mentor call. Those are usually closed. Just We open those just to, to Eagles members. But even if you aren't, if you're just a podcast listener, you want to join us for that, you can jump on that. It's going to be from 2 to 3 o'clock Central Time, Monday afternoon, the 26th. Again, 48dayseagles.com slash car hacking for that session where we're going to be talking about how to drive a car for free. All right, here's a good news item. You know, they've discovered that birds in San Francisco are singing differently since the pandemic started. Now, here's what happened. There's a whole lot less traffic a whole lot less traffic because of the COVID pandemic. And Bay Area residents were reporting hearing more birds. Now, they were partially right because they were hearing them more because there's not all the other noise that's going on. But what the researchers have found is that the birds responded by producing softer sounds that could travel over a larger distance, unimpeded by the competing noise. These urban songs of the birds, they said, even became sexier in terms of vocal performance, meaning that the birds sang a wider range of notes in their song in a wider bandwidth. But here's what's happening. When the birds don't have to compete, now there's, there's a real human application here. When the birds don't have to compete with the loud background noise, they can essentially sing more quietly, but still communicate over greater distances, approximately twice as far. This helps explain media reports suggesting that bird songs sounded louder during the shutdown and that people were more aware of the birds around them. The birds were actually singing more softly, but it was so quiet, they sounded louder. You know, I think about all the people screaming at each other right now. I mean, my goodness, we've had an excess of that. People yelling at each other. You don't hear anything as well. 
But if there's not as much noise, wow, the message comes through much louder. Well, I hope you learn from the birds. I hope we all do learn from the birds, but it's interesting to to realize people are hearing birds much, much more than when there's all the competing noise. I will hope that we can eliminate some of the noise that's been going on, both verbally and in terms of cars and machines and all, so that we have a world where we can hear the birds more. Last week, we had the session where I interviewed Mark and Crystal Hansen about their new book, Ask, and we talked about the, the process of asking. And a lot of you sent in ideas about things that you would ask for. Um, we're going to focus on our theme of ideas today, but uh, I love the, the notes you sent in. Again, you can always send a note in to just ask Dan at 48days.com. But here, Michael says, uh, what would I do if I... Um, you know, really could ask for anything, maybe a million or two in my bank account as an emergency fund, but I have no idea who I can ask for help with that. Well, here's the deal. I don't know either. I don't know who would be crazy enough just to give you money because you ask for money. Money, you don't ask for money. You ask for help, advice, opinions. I mean, good ideas attract money. That's why I wanted to just comment on this briefly because we're talking about ideas. If you've got a great idea, you never have to worry about money. Great ideas attract money. Goodness, I've got so many examples of that. People want to be involved with something that's happening, something that's working well. So focus on having a great idea and money's going to start showing up. This comes from Tony who says, hey, Dan, I really appreciate uh, your content. I've wanted to share a business idea with you and your team to get some assistance and advice, but I'm afraid once it's public, someone with funding will grab my idea and run with it. Any thoughts on how I can proceed and prevent this from happening? Well, I, I already shot Tony a note, but just to kind of reemphasize here, uh, Tony, that, that's a tough position to be in. None of us are successful all alone. I share my very best ideas quickly with people around me that I know and trust. Now, they're busy with their own ideas, but they can give me guidance and insight for how to proceed. And I just met with 30 really close friends where we shared deeply. We brainstormed in small groups about ideas that we could develop together, how we could help each other and even potentially invest together and growing business ideas together. That, that's the way to get traction is to share. And Tony, I mean, a great starting point would be to get in the 48 Days Eagles community to start building those kind of relationships and just check it out, 48dayseagles.com. You can see what's, what's happening in that community. Don't be afraid of sharing an idea. Be afraid of keeping it close to your chest while somebody else develops the idea, and runs with it. Now here's, I want to comment on this a little bit more because I have a lot of people who, you know, share that they've got a great idea. And in working with creative people every day, I mean, I have the opportunity to hear lots of really cool ideas. And I really do. People approach me every day with what could be the next greatest, you know, iPad or hula hoop or self-directing Frisbee or time management system, or dog training trick, or best-selling book. I mean, these people often brag about having so many ideas that they've not been able to narrow down and develop even one. And therein lies the challenge. Now, you may be somebody who has a lot of great ideas, and you've been doing research for the last five years. 
If that's you, I'll guarantee you nothing's been added to your bank account. People become enamored with making their idea perfect and thus never launch anything or protecting their idea before they've done anything with it. I mean, I have people who say, golly, they've got this idea for McDonald's, you know, that instead of having little squeeze packets of ketchup, if they had little cups where you could take the top off and dip your fry, I don't know, whatever, you know, an idea like that, it absolutely has no value. Don't think that somehow you're going to surprise McDonald's or Wendy's with an idea like that. They don't want to hear your idea. Now, that's another thing, you know, and I have people who come to me with this kind of thing, this fear and trepidation that if they share their idea, somebody's going to, I said, don't tell me your idea. Don't tell me your idea. You take it and run with it. I don't need another idea. You take it and do something with it. And I don't want you, you know, sharing it with me and then seeing somebody else develop and then come back and accuse me of having shared it. I mean, a lot of companies are not open to ideas from outside people for exactly that. They probably already have explored the idea you're talking about, and they don't want to be open to the potential that you share the idea with them, and they don't do anything with you, but they develop something similar, and then you come back and say, well, you stole that idea. You know, they aren't even open to that. They don't want to do that. But when people become enamored with an idea and they, they never launch anything, many times a window of opportunity has passed or someone else has already released a similar product before they're comfortable sharing their idea. Now, in, in the great Gatsby, writer Scott Fitzgerald identified the real cause behind these delays. And I, I love the way he framed this. He says, what would be the use of doing great things if I could have a better time telling her what I was going to do? But that's a line out of the movie. What would be the use of doing great things if I could have a better time telling her what I was going to do? And I find a lot of people do that. They love telling you about their great ideas. They find so much enjoyment in telling people about their big idea that they never actually do it. I got another quote, quotation here from Brian Tracy, who says, and I've used this a lot over the years, the average person has three or four ideas a year, which if anyone has acted on would make them a millionaire. Now think about that. Have you had an idea where you did then later see somebody who developed it? Or do you, have you had an idea that's just been persistent for 10 years? You've been thinking about it, but you've never done anything. Well, I mean, artists, ideas are plentiful, but ideas don't put money in anybody's pocket. But the idea that's combined with a clear plan of action can change your life. As Steve Jobs was known to tell his software developers, real artistship. That's kind of a mantra in the entrepreneurial world, real artistship. That means get it out there. It doesn't have to be perfect. I mean, Reed Hoffman from LinkedIn says, if you aren't embarrassed by the first version of your product, you waited too long. You know, I, everything I've done in 48 days, I mean, I've thrown it out there. If it's spiral bound or in a three ring binder, we test the ideas. And then as they get better and refined because of customer feedback, then we can make it better and turn it into something, you know, more, more professional. But I've had a lot of things that are out there that should have been embarrassing and are embarrassing to look back on them. But my goodness, we get a lot of traction with those. I mean, I sold a couple million dollars worth of the first version of 48 Days to the Work You Love that was in a three-ring binder with two little cassette tapes stuck on the inside cover. It wasn't fancy, but people bought it. People wanted it. 
Well, here's another, um, here's another um, question that I got that relates to ideas. This is, I love this. My wife mentioned recently she wants to learn to decorate cakes. And since I've been listening to you, I immediately thought of making it into a business that we could run together and be able to spend more time together. My wife, however, doesn't see or believe that this is feasible. My question is, what's the best way to show her the potential? Should I work up a business plan, find a few ways to market her cakes once she gets going? Okay, that's a question. Well, I'll tell you what, you're a guy after my own heart. I mean, as soon as Joanne, my wife, you know, makes some beautiful note cards or a gorgeous painting, I immediately start thinking about how we could duplicate those and make a million dollars. And then she kind of gently reins me back in by reminding me that her enjoyment comes from the process itself, or maybe doing it for one of our children or grandchildren, not because she wants to make some money. I had to learn to allow her creative and artistic gifts to just simply be expressed for the joy that it gives her, not for yet one more way for me to see how to make money. I'll tell you what, I mean, I, I do this. I'm, I'm terrible about this with, even with my grandkids, you know, I see them doing something and I'm immediately thinking, Ooh, Etsy or eBay, you know, we could put that up there and they could make money. Now we, you know, all of our grandkids have had opportunities to experiment with it. I want them to understand the entrepreneurial ideas, the, the opportunities that there are for doing something where you can make money. But I also want to be careful about not forcing them into doing something that they intended just to be a fun hobby, and now it's become drudgery because they feel the pressure to have to just do it over and over and over again. So I'd encourage you to go carefully on this. I mean, the fact that your wife wants to learn how to decorate cakes may be far removed from creating an income stream. I mean, you're saying that uh, she has this feeling it's not feasible. Maybe her resistance to immediately putting pressure on the quality or marketability of her work. It may be a soft way to tell you she wants to do something independently without having you looking over her shoulder. Goodness, how many stories have I heard of husbands who jumped in to try to turn their wife's hobby into something that was you know, successful financially, only to have the wife resent that kind of intrusion. Now, there are, there are exceptions. I want, I want you, having asked about your wife decorating cakes here, to go to mcgreevycakes.com, mcgreevy, M-C-G-R-E-E-V-Y-C-A-K-E-S.com. That's Shauna McGreevy. Shauna's a friend of ours, a client. I worked with her uh, years ago when she was trying to figure this out. She was making cakes, and that's what she did. So she'd make cakes. They, they are absolutely astounding. When you go to that site, be blown away what you see. Go to the gallery and look at some of the cakes she's created. They're pieces of art that ought to never be eaten, I think, but they're all edibles. I mean, she's made John Deere tractor tires and any kind of thing that you want, she can turn into a cake. But she was just doing that, making cakes. Well, you can only do so many cakes in a week. I mean, if you do a wedding cake and charge $1,000, you aren't going to do more than one a week. And she was trying to figure out how to do this. So what she did is she started... And, and all this information is on a site there. You can go there and see what she's done. She says she started a YouTube channel where she videos how she creates her cakes. She also started blogging about each project, found that she really enjoyed writing, interacting with fellow cake lovers. 
Then she decided to stop making cakes for the general public. Now, this is this is where it gets interesting when you have an idea like this that really you can't expand exponentially. You know, if your wife likes to make cakes and she can't do, you know, 50 a day, it's hard to scale like that. Shauna stopped making cakes for the public totally and started focusing on teaching the art of cake decorating online. And then she created a cake support group with other cake artists to answer questions, share their work, inspire each other, and so on. So she says, today I make cakes for my online cake decorating school, Cakeheads. You can go there, cakeheads.com. It's a community. People pay $20 a month to be part of that. I mean, if she, I don't know, I, I'll have to check with her. I'll ask her how many members she has. Matter of fact, I'm going to ask her to come on as a Monday mentor in our Eagles community and just talk about this whole journey of hers. But let's say that she has a thousand people, other cake lovers in her group, and they're paying $20 a month. Well, you can do the math on that. That's $20,000 a month, not from making cakes, but from sharing ideas about how to make cakes. So there's lots of ways to make money. But we also do need activities in our lives that are just there for the enjoyment. So you might want to make a list of you know, 10 other ways you could create additional family income and choose from those. But let your wife, what, let your wife learn, experiment, hear the affirmation of others you know, over a period of time. Maybe along the way, she'll get the idea that cake decorating really could be a profitable business. Well, let me just take a brief pause here, catch my breath, and we we'll go into the next question about getting a business loan. But to remind you, these are real-life questions from listeners just like you. You got a question or a success story that you want to share? Just shoot it into askdan at 48days.com. I love opening the mailbox and seeing the questions that you all submit. You come in, the ideas that you've got and questions about real life thing we call work. Again, just send those in to me at askdan at 48days.com. Here's a podcast listener question this week. Should I get a business loan? Dan, thanks for all you do. I would like to know what your opinion is on getting a small business loan. It takes me a while to put money to the side from my regular job to invest in my business. I've tried buying wholesale collectibles on eBay to resell, also affiliate websites, but found the long hours and no return on investment in the beginning hard to overcome. I could not get any traction going and would quit before I ever got started. Would you recommend a business loan to get things going faster? No. Now, I'm open to business loans for a lot of things. If you have been working for a trucking company, you know trucking logistics, and you get an opportunity to work for FedEx where they guarantee your, you know, your packages, your delivery route, the whole thing, but you need to have a truck. You need to purchase your own truck. Now they have programs like this to even help you. So you need, you know, $20,000 for a truck and you want to know, can you get a loan for that? Yes. Yeah. You would have my total support to do that. It's in a business you already know about. It's with an established company. They're going to guarantee you the route, the packages, you simply need, absolutely, go ahead and do that. But not with what you've described here, where you tried buying collectibles, you tried this, you find the long hours, no return on investment, hard to overcome. No, 
If you have to have a loan to make the business work, I think you're in trouble. I mean, don't be like the farmer, you know, who lost money in every watermelon that he sold. So he bought a bigger truck. I mean, you don't want to do that. If you're not making money on a small scale, there's nothing to leverage for bigger profits. If you have a business that works and a loan would help you leverage what you're already doing, then go for it. I mean, if I have an opportunity, um, well, well, a couple of years ago, my publisher created a special package of 48 days to the work. You'll have the hardback, the workbook, and an audio CD in there for Costco. So it was in a special box. Some of you may remember that. It was in a special box. Well, like Costco does, I mean, their opening order was 60000 so it was a big hit. They bought more. And then after about 90 days, as they often do, they rotate through product promotion, and they sent everything they had back to the publisher. That, that in itself is an old antiquated business model, but that's still out there in the publishing world. So they sent them back. My publisher panicked. They didn't know what to do with these boxes that they had. It was packaged unlike what you would see in a bookstore. So they, they didn't know what to do with these things. They were going to just try to liquidate it, just get rid of them. So I negotiated with them and it was a package that was selling for $49.99 at Costco. And I purchased those and I paid $4.38 a piece for those. They had 14,000 of those, 14,000 of those available. Golly, what is that? 14,000. Let me see here what that is. I don't have that mathematics in the top of my head here. They had 14,000 of those. I paid $4.35. So that's $60,000, $61,000. I don't remember exactly what I did, but I wouldn't bat an eye at borrowing the money to buy those. To be able to have my own product that had been selling at $49 at Costco, and now I had them for $4 and 38 cents. My goodness, we had a blast with those. I mean, we sold most of them at $25. That's a really big profit margin. Some of them got right down to the wire and I wanted just to liquidate what we had left. I think we sold them for $10, but still more than double what I had paid. Wow. Knowing our track record, knowing our audience, knowing our previous success with that product, I would have no problem at all borrowing money for that. So that's different. But if you've got an idea and you've never made money and you think, well, if I borrowed money somehow, that's very dangerous territory. Very dangerous. I mean, always start with what you have to make your business profitable first. I mean, if you're buying designer clothing from an outlet and you predictably triple your money with every piece that you buy, that you put on eBay, then more money to leverage those profits would be an option. Never start with borrowed money. I mean, it creates an environment that's artificial, prevents you from really knowing how the business works. The struggle to make it profitable from day one will help you build something that has true potential. So I bootstrap your business. That means build your business by the profits that you get from your business. Now, certainly starting out, and as you say in your question here, it's been hard to put money aside from your regular job. Yeah, we all fund businesses like that by borrowing a little bit from ourselves in the money that we're making or having the profits from our own job or previous business, you know, that carry over and help us fund a new business. There've been a lot of businesses where I've started, where I borrowed a thousand dollars for myself to put in there, but um, not to go out and just borrow the money to get it up. That I don't do. Be very rare that I would encourage you to do that as well. All right, let me go to Tracy's question. 
This is really a, a sweet question here. I want to kind of uh, walk through this with Tracy. Small business for adult son with special needs. Hello, Dan. I appreciate your podcast willingness to help others reach their potential. We find ourselves at an interesting point in our lives with quickly approaching empty nest, but in our own unique way. We have guardianship of our adult middle son who has high-functioning autism. Our son just graduated from high school and works part-time rocking the lobby of a well-known restaurant chain, surrounded by amazing people who up to this point remain excited and willing to teach him different areas of the operation. We're blessed to be close friends with the manager who's in our small group from church who always keeps an eye on him and and helps him work along uh, with protecting him from others. Just as we knew it happened, he was named Employee of the Month. In his second month of employment, he received an award for dependability last month. Now he received a 40 cent an hour raise because of his hard work and commitment to serving others. He finds joy and purpose in his position. We're thankful for this new self-worth he's experiencing because he's allowed to use his gift of gifts of order, cleanliness, contagious smile to serve others. Here's the situation. I'm very determined and driven individual type a idi i know that i know that god equipped me for whatever this diagnosis means i'm a self-starter maintainer and a total entrepreneur at heart i like new challenges helping others administer their business successfully and i've always known it would be on us to help our son be self-sufficient in every way we'll be relocating to a different state in two or three years after our youngest son graduates from high school gets himself established in his career and our son will be moving with us. We know there are minimal employees willing to hire folks with special needs. It's not easy for them to do so, right or wrong. I've always said I'll be the one to help our son and probably others establish his own opportunities because the biggest concern for our son is him being taken advantage of will always remain steadfast in protecting him. Should I concentrate on creating entrepreneurial opportunities for him now or continue to learn to rest my mind only with God's help, by laying my type A planning aside until the time draws closer to our move. Thanks for your thoughts. Wow, you have so much packed in here, Tracy, and I love the approach you're taking as a caring, um, loving mama to your son in doing this. Now, you know I love entrepreneurial ideas, but there's a but here. I still want to look first at the individual to see what fits. So we have traditional eight to five jobs. We have things that are consulting, things that are more like franchises where there's a proven path to run on and things that are more and more entrepreneurial in terms of being less and less structured. We want to make sure that it fits the person. In this case, that it fits your son. I'm not sure about this, but you're describing your son in being in a very fulfilling position right now, working at a restaurant, maybe the greeter or doing whatever they need him to do there. He just got a raise. He loves the camaraderie. He loves being there. He's got that contagious smile that you talked about. I would be cautious about taking him out of that and having him in the garage at your house where he now is expected to work totally by himself, produce something that you can sell so he has his own little entrepreneurial business. That may be totally misplaced direction, even if it provides him what you see as more security and more income. You've got to make sure that it fits him. Now, there are opportunities. You describe that it's it's hard to find employees 
employers who are willing to you know hire people like your son. It is, but like with any good position, they're not in abundance. You have to look to find that. And I'm reminded of just this last week, I had Jesse Cole, who owns the Savannah Bananas, this amazing um, baseball team out of Savannah, Georgia, where he does the most amazing, unusual, unique, creative ideas I've ever seen in my life. I mean, he has backward night at the stadium where people come in and they back, they walk backward into the stadium. They start with the ninth inning. They play all the way down, you know, the the seventh inning stretch or whatever. Then they go through all the way down to the first inning. Then they all stand and sing the national anthem and leave the total night backwards. He does things like that. Now, because he does things that are so creative and so unusual, he has people standing in line who want to work there. But there's, and also there's side of it. He does no marketing for the ball games because he has over a thousand people on a wait list to purchase full season tickets. It's just, it's pretty outrageous what he's done there. However, the team that he has working for him is made up of people with a variety of skills. One of those being a young man named Benjamin. And I asked him about Benjamin just when I, we had the conversation this last week. Benjamin is 40 years old. He is much like you describe your son. But he wrote a letter to Jesse and said, I love baseball. I want to work for you. Jesse brought him in, talked to him, and hired him. Benjamin is primarily a cheerleader. He walks around. You know, he may pick up a little trash, but they have him um, maybe walk up into the stadium, into the stands, and deliver a, a rose to a lady. His main phrase that he says is, it's a great day for a ball game. And he'll say that a thousand times during the evening. It's a great day for a ball game. They recently had a, a birthday party for Benjamin. Benjamin let everybody know it was his birthday. It was his 40th birthday. And he let everybody know. So that when he came into work that day, and he, oh, he kept telling people, my birthday's on a game day. My birthday's on a game day. So everybody knew that. And of course, they were going to honor him as such. So they brought him in. And when he came to work that day and they had cake and they all wished him well, happy birthday. Well, that night at the game, they started introducing the players, you know, at first base, we got this pitcher, second base. Oh, and last but not least, special player, team player tonight is Benjamin. They announced his name. I mean, he went nuts. He raised his hands up in the air and ran down on the field and high five the players all the way down. They gave him a jersey with his name on it. He put the name on it and spent the night as one of the team players. Now, this is a guy much like you describe your son. I can't imagine taking that gentleman, taking Benjamin out of that environment and putting him in his own idea. It'd be really difficult to do. Now, here's the kind of, the kind of caveat on this, Tracy. If you want to create a business if you and your husband want to create a business or you and your, your husband or you and some other children want to create a business and then have Benjamin involved, I think there's probably a possibility of that. But I kind of cringe hearing you describe him and then thinking about him being just in his own little business that he does himself. Now, maybe there's something that he has an affinity for where he could make it and then go to the farmer's market every week or go to the street fair and stand there and engage with people. I mean, I'm not sure, but be careful about going in that direction just because you think it would give him more security and more financial independence. Maybe, maybe not. You don't want him to be resenting the thing you create for him. Make sure you honor and validate what is unique about him as you look at the best 
employment, best career, best business opportunity. Same way we do for anybody. Well, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap up right there. Golly, we're gonna that's a good place to kind of slow things down. I want to remind you about a resource for today, and that is to join me in my Monday mentor call. You can get an even as an outsider, not being part of the Eagles community, you can join us for that. If you go to 48dayseagles.com slash car hacking, where I'm going to be talking about innovative ways to drive any kind of car that you want. I've always driven cars that I really enjoy, cars that are a lot of fun, and those cars don't cost me money. And in talking about it, more and more people are saying, you know, how can I do that? So I'm going to share with you exactly what I do. I'm going to show you cars that I currently have and ways that you can do exactly what I've done over the years. Again, that's 48dayseagles.com slash car hacking. Now, remember our quotation for today from Thomas Edison. I have more respect for the fellow with a single idea who gets there than for the fellow with a thousand ideas who does nothing. Don't be one of those people who have a great, has a great idea and does nothing. Don't pat yourself on the back because you can brag about the idea, but you've never done nothing. Don't just continue to research and learn trying to get it perfect and you still have done nothing. Get it out there. Get it out there. In the, in the, the Lean Startup, Eric Rees talks about you want to have what's called minimal viable product. Just have something that works. Even if it's not perfect, get it out there. Again, that's what I've always done with audio programs, courses, books we've done. Just get it out there. Then we refine it over time. And as you know, I just came out with the 20th anniversary edition of 48 Days to the Work You Love. If I waited 20 years to perfect it, it, it wouldn't work. Things change. It's a lot different than it was even originally. So get it out there in a, some current form and then work on it over time. You can do the same with your ideas. Hey, thanks for being part of this community. Thanks for your feedback. Again, you can shoot your questions into askdan at 48days.com. And uh, thanks for being part of this community growing community where we know without a shadow of a doubt we can find or create work that is meaningful purposeful and profitable don't settle for less